Hello, and welcome to... This is not... A history... Lecture. And I am drinking... This is not... Wait, that doesn't make any sense. No, yeah. This wait, is... The thing that I am drinking is not just a cherry limeade from Sonic. It has vodka in it. <laughs> live and let live, girl. It's summer. It is summer. And I had work today. Yeah. And Kat had work today. Yeah. So, you know. You know how it is. How has work? How's the past week been? <sighs> So, work has been fine. You know, it's work. I was going to tell you, though, it's really funny for whatever reason. Every, like, 85% of the babies I encountered today <laughs> stared at me. <laughs> the <laughs> like, hair. It's the pink hair. No, I've had pink hair for a few days now. And today has been, like, every <laughs> single baby. They're just entranced. I don't know what the fuck the deal is. <laughs> I just, like, look back at them. Because what else am I supposed to do? That child stare thing it's yeah. like that one video is like this baby's fucking looking at me <laughs> i don't know what video you're talking about you've but... never seen that video no of that guy who's like i'm gonna beat this baby up no you haven't seen that video oh it's so funny it's like not real it's very scripted I- i'm but assuming yeah it's it's really funny um no that's like the only thing i was playing in my head all day at work today <laughs> i was just like oh my god ah these babies I, like, gonna... I had like several like little girls like come up to me and be like hi and Aww. i'm like it's the mermaid hair. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Did I tell you about the bald baby I saw the other day? It's like one of those babies I think that most was like, babies are bald. No, it was like one of those. It was not a newborn. It was like an older baby. Oh. Like mm, a, older than six months, like old baby. Hmm. And he like didn't have any hair yet. Alopecia. Like not even like eyebrows. And Maybe he has alopecia. No judge. I, I'm not judging the baby. I'm judging the parent because he was also not wearing a shirt. And you were like holding him. <laughs> and I was like, this is like a, there's museums, a lot of skin happening right now. Also, <laughs> museums are kept pretty cold for. And I was like, why is your baby wearing a shirt? Poor baby's gonna be cold. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. And the Maybe fact he... that he was just like really bald too. And it was just like a lot of pale skin. And I was like, this is weird. And that baby, that was before I dyed my hair. He stared at me the whole time too. And I was like, what the hell? Love it. <laughs> anyway. Babies stare at me, which is hilarious. And our boss, well, my boss asked me if I could work, like, kid stuff a few weeks from now. So... Like an extra program? Yeah, they're doing, like, a... Something with the baby... Uh, the... The daycare, the school runs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're having, like, an after-school program. So she asked me to do it. She's like, oh, I thought you'd be a good fit. I was like, you don't even know that about me. Like, how do you know that it's I'll like be a I am, good fit with kids? Like, I am, but very assumptive of you. Like, I know. It's like, what is it about me that's like, yeah, this, this chick's good with kids? I, I don't know. I mean, I am. Like, I, I'm an older sister and I'm an older, older cousin. But, like, these people don't know these things about me. <sighs> anyway, Kat's doing mouth exercises over no, there. No, I, I kept thinking that I was going to yawn and I felt like if I did those stretches that... It would help, and it did. Okay. Well, I'm glad. Thanks. Um, it's also definitely summertime because Kat's apartment pool is very active. I could smell the chlorine from when I stepped out of my car. Yeah. It's yeah. the past few days. It's been, like, crazy busy, and I'm like, oh. Well, at least they have chlorine in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's it not clean. just a puddle of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, chemicals are good sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah>. so... <laughs> It's been a it's been a while. Um, it has. We were supposed to record on Friday, but I got sick, and my roommate had she was sick like that. 
a few days before. Mm. It was like stomach and like, you know, when you're 24 hour bug kind of thing. Yeah. You know, when your like skin feels really, really sensitive. You no. can't. You've never had that happen. No. Oh, it's the worst. When I get sick, like certain times, not every time. But I get really times, sweaty, clammy and gross when I'm sick. No, it's like, like my skin like hurts. And it's like oh. just very like, bleh, and you just feel like gross whenever you touch anything. I've not had like, that problem you've before. Never, uh, it's the worst because you feel like you can't do anything because obviously you're always touching something or like you're always wearing clothes, you know? So it's like just very like irritating. Hmm. It just felt like really nasty. Um, but we did go to Colorado since we last spoke, and that was a good time. We got to go to the Denver Natural Science Museum. I call every natural history museum the Natural Science Museum, because I'm from Houston, and that's what it's called there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, really great museum. If you have the chance to go, I would highly recommend. Um, really, really cool how it was laid out. I haven't really seen that before. They told, like, everything, like, it was, like, a story. I like that, like, narrative like, type. Yeah, like, every single thing. Yeah. Like, they have this whole health exhibit, and you, like, follow it along. Like, you got your own, like, little, like, passport. Oh, And then I you, like, those. checked in at all the stations. And then, like, at the end, it, like, gave you a little printout. It was so oh, cute. I love those. Yeah. And then, um, like, the dinosaurs, it was, like, from, like, the Cambrian explosion all the way oh, through. Cool. Yeah. And then, like, they had this whole huge exhibit on, um different biomes in Colorado and they oh. started off with like desert plains and went all the way up into like mountain tundra and you oh. like followed it up it was super cool like everything had a story and I was like I love that that's really cool um and yeah it was like that was the first time like I got to see mountains like that so it was a lot of fun had a great time in general um but you know when you like come back from traveling and it's like you kind of feel weird. Yeah. It takes like a week or two to really feel like you're home again. Yeah. And plus my roommate was sick pretty much right after we got home. And then I think I got whatever from mm-hmm. her. She was sick for a few days. I fortunately was only sick for like basically an afternoon. But of course it was like right when we had right. to record. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Fair. But um, yeah. So how you been? I'm, I'm good. Um, I'm really tired. This week has, I can tell. Yeah, this weekend's been a lot. Um, so, like, Friday, um, I I don't know what I did, but I went to bed feeling, like, really weird. Like, I had, like, you know, like, acid reflux, but it was, yeah. like, really bad. And I, I thought maybe, like, I was just, um, I had drank too much, like, sweet tea before I laid down or something. Because, you know, that makes me yeah. kind of bloated anyway. And then I woke up. Saturday morning feeling like I was having a panic attack like there was so much adrenaline and like I woke up and I think it's because I woke up and I had slept on my arm weird and it had fallen asleep but it was the arm that I've been having well both my arms that I've had that numbness problem in so I woke up thinking like I had lost my arm that like like I woke up thinking like it just sent me into a straight adrenaline panic attack I guess if you were like half asleep that's like your first thought yeah I was like something's happened again to my arm I've lost control I need to get to the hospital or something like it it freaked me out so bad that I couldn't get back to sleep and that whole morning that adrenaline didn't wear off until like two in the afternoon so I was like giving tours all morning like like jittery and like like awful and i felt terrible and by the time we got around to that night it had like started to wear off but we had there's a donor dinner i was working for our um history thing and it was like the 
no people for, who donate a lot for of your money historic house yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um i and, didn't get to do this to be clear. oh no not yeah. this history thing it was yeah the historic organization i work for yeah and so fancy so cool i saw pictures y'all it was insane 11 course victorian Jesus dinner Christ. i don't even know like ele- i can't even come up with 11 types of food for you I like what is here in the menu like, it included um i tried caviar for the first time i was gonna say did you actually try it i don't yes. know if i would have i wasn't going to and then my intern co-worker and i were both like they're interns but we're kind of more like employees it's, it's weird yeah but um she and I, neither of us was going to do it. And we just kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, we have to do it. And so we ha- like put it on the, the little pancake thing. It's called the, there's a name for it. Um, <laughs> Blenis, As you can see, I we're think, very yeah. refined people. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. And I knew I was going to get like a little bit of food that night, but mm-hmm. um, some of the donors didn't show up. So they had a couple extra oh. place settings. Nice. And so my coworker and I got to sit there and like, eat eat like literally just sit there and do this um but there was like fish chicken meat um like i can't even pronounce most of these and it was so bougie and so fancy i like that's insane like i had like i said i couldn't even like what do you eat for 11 courses cucumber and basil sorbet Okay, that sounds actually delicious. It was phenomenal i was gonna say i've never had anything like it in my life and i will happily do it like I, yeah yeah but i'm sitting there in this corset in this full victorian gown and i realized like if i breathe any deeper <laughs> i'm going to break my corset like i feel like that's how a lot of women feel yeah but like after 11 courses i yeah, was ready exactly. to tap out by number four yeah. there were six no yeah there was seven more after that we got to like the soup and chicken and when you're in college and also how i was raised like especially in college like you don't leave food on your plate like you eat it yeah you you don't waste and so everyone else is like taking sample bites of you know like little bits of little bits of each each dish yeah you have to pace yourself and no my my co-worker and i were like this is so much fancier than anything so we were like we're gonna eat every (laughs) single bite of this that's awesome so amazing looks like it was um boucher d'escargot dates wrapped in bacon that was amazing (laughs) um watermelon with goat cheese and mint also incredible smoked beef tenderloin crostini with horseradish mm-hmm. okay why did my brain just not know what that word was? i don't speak french you do cream and caramelized onions blinis creme flesh hard-boiled egg <laughs> it was like all like yeah. chopped up into minuscule pieces mm-hmm. and you put a little bit of the caviar mm. the egg the yeah, shallots caviar. and all that together on this little like pancake ish thing yes yeah shallots the soup was beef consomme with spring vegetables they so had good. flounder munier for the fish chicken was chicken marengo it was incredible meat I like how you have fish, chicken, and then meat. Yeah, no, literally, it was like <laughs> fish so and chicken food. are not fish and chicken are not meat. I don't know. I, According to good. this menu, um, was roasted beef fillet, Oscar intermezzo, was cucumber basil sorbet, for a salad, uh, gorgonzola tartlet with frisée and bacon, 
cheese was a brie, blue, and manchego. You just had, like, a cheese Yeah, plate. it was a plate of cheeses. That's amazing. <laughs> and each one had, like, the blue cheese had a little bit of, like, jam next to it. The wow. The manchego or whatever had, like, honey for it. It was yeah. crazy. Shit, this sounds good. It was so good. I mean, it's probably because I haven't really eaten. Well, that's a lie. I had some tomato soup earlier today. Well, I woke up this morning so full from last night yeah. that I literally couldn't eat anything still this morning. So I haven't eaten anything today. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know what uh, petite four means. It's four little desserts. Ah. And that was before the dessert before round. Before the actual dessert, yes. Assorted sweets. But no, you don't understand. The petite fours, it was like a brownie with a chocolate ganache on it and macaroons. And like, Ooh. there was so much. It was the equivalent wow. of one, like four individual desserts on it's one like plate. It's like one, yeah, it's one dessert. And then the actual altogether. dessert was a whole different yeah, thing. Yeah, and then dessert was pear poached in port wine with chantilly cream. Speaking of, have you ever had port, like actually? Yeah. Okay, I did not realize it was that high in alcohol content. I bought it from HEB. I did not know they could sell it's that dangerous. high of an alcohol content. And I was one glass in and I was like, oh, yeah. oh but this wow. But the pear was soaked in it. Like, it was like a skinned pear. So the minute you cut into it, it was just like half port, half pear. It was amazing. Wow. That's amazing. But yeah, that whole meal well, I'm happy was for amazing. You. And I won't eat for another six months. And you didn't have to donate thousands of dollars to get it. No, I did not. I just had to show up. It was <laughs> you great. You have to donate your time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I... But now I'm exhausted because I got three hours of sleep before that. And then that meal took four hours. <laughs> yeah. So I left work at like Jeez. 10 or 11 or yeah. something. I texted, yeah, I texted you. I think like he texted me at like 10.30 and I yeah, had just like, gotten home. I was like, ooh, yikes. And that was after a full day of work. So yeah. worth it. Not worth complaining. It. I'm just yeah. tired now. Yeah, for sure. No. And um, now work will never compare to that again. <laughs> no. Gus got to stick around for next year's. Oh, you're so right. I get to do this again. Oh, my God. <laughs> Apparently, the Christ- they're planning a big thing for Christmas. Ooh. I was like, do I have to pay for that if I work it? I don't even care if I have to eat in a closet. Like, I just want the food. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the only other thing was, it was my birthday a few days ago, so that was kind of fun. That's kind of... I'm 23 now, so I'm an old maid. Um, I'm 27 years old. I have no no money, money, no no prospects. I'm already a burden on my parents. parents, And and I'm I'm frightened. frightened. So don't you dare judge me, Lizzie. Don't you dare dare judge judge me. me. I'm getting closer and closer to checking off all of those boxes. Right now I have all except 27. You're like four years short. I'm three years short. So, Well, your birthday's in October, which is um, close now. Closer now. Don't talk to me about that. It's just (laughs) depressing at this point. Yeah. Well, life sucks. And let's talk about history. Let's... You know who else dies? People in history. People in history die. Unfortunately, everyone we're talking about right now is dead. Mine aren't all dead. Oh, really? Mine is. My lady's well, dead in the, the dirt. <laughs> well, not in the dirt. In a marble tomb. Oh, cool. I'll talk about that tomb. later. Yeah. yeah. I'm well, excited to see what Kat has for us today. I am excited to see what's in store, too. Um, I, will, I wanted to note today that it was also two days ago from now, I think, one day ago, was the anniversary of the Loving case, which mm-hmm. for those of you international or who don't know, um, is the case in America, the Supreme Court case, that legalized interracial marriage well not legalized but like allowed it set the precedent to allow interracial marriage and um i wanted to talk about that but it's still pride month and i felt like at some point during pride month we need to talk about the stonewall uprising and next week is a theme week and the week after that is father's day so basically the uh, i needed to do stonewall this week so that means i will be doing the loving case 
in a few weeks, but I just wanted to note that it's it did happen. List. It did it's happen this list. past week, and it's going to eventually get talked about. So. Yeah. There's a lot of things I'm going to eventually talk about, too. That That's true. Yeah. Well, the good news is, is, like, we have a break from, like, Heritage Months, so we'll be able to catch up and actually... Oh, to do to like the <laughs> random stuff that's been on yeah. our list and doesn't Well, fit. and yeah. also to, like, actually devote the time, because I know for, like, AAPI and stuff, we don't have too much time, just yeah. based on, like, how stuff worked out. But yeah, we had all that weird. We don't have Mother's episode. and Father's Days anymore, so we should be in the clear to do some of the stories we've yeah. been meaning to do. Yeah. yeah. And if you have, yeah, so cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, if there's one you want us to hear or you want to hear from us about AAPI or Pride or anything else, please Tell let us, us know. Yeah. We would love to do that. We would love to cover those. We would. Yes. Yeah. So today, since it is still Pride, I'm talking about the Stonewall Uprising. Um, a lot of y'all have probably heard stuff about it this month, and someone I was at dinner with last night made the really good point that Pride is a great way to celebrate, but it's also a great way to learn history, like all of these heritage months. It also just doesn't just bring it to the forefront of your mind, but also like there are stories that might not get uncovered as easily by the general history community if we didn't have months dedicated to them. So mm-hmm. I do appreciate that. All right, let's set the scene for the Stonewall Uprising. Mm, I'm excited. I don't I know too much about Stonewall, to be honest with you. I didn't either. I didn't. I thought I knew stuff, and then I realized I didn't know as much as I should. I feel like that's where I'm going to be in about five minutes. Yeah. 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 Oh, buckle your seat. We'll get into it in the next five seconds. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. All right, one, two. It's the 60s in New York. There we go. <laughs> Godzilla is here. Godzilla. That you didn't know that he was involved, huh? Mm, no, I'm kidding. Gay icon, Godzilla. Yes. Have you... No, the Godzilla... No, was I was literally just saying that to get your attention. I know, I, but the Godzilla versus... Wait, was it King Kong versus... It was Kong versus... Oh, that... That, yeah. like, big monster movie that just came out, and everyone was like, they're gonna kiss. <laughs> Did you see that? There was, like, a the scene where they're, like, it. fighting, and everyone, like, memed it because they got in that, like... lovers? They got in that, like, kiss or kill zone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, kiss kiss it's like these two monsters i'm gonna start calling it the kiss or kill zone that's amazing <laughs> have you never heard that before no yeah it's awesome <laughs> it's phenomenal okay well it was the 60s in new york godzilla mm. unfortunately was not there damn um and lgbtqia plus rights just rights in general for everyone many minorities are not where they should be not what they are now um but policies were even more openly discriminatory towards lgbtq people it's still illegal in most states to be gay at all. Um, yeah, like, yeah. even physically having suggestive contact with someone mm-hmm. else in that way was illegal. Um, and in New York at this time, there's something called a State Liquor Authority License, or an SLA, that you needed basically to be able to run a bar. But they weren't handed out to establishments where this LGBTQ community congregated of course yeah. it was a way of further discriminating mm-hmm. instead they had to run their bars without licenses technically making them illegal which is kind of an excuse that police would use to raid them yeah some laws are meant to be broken that's what i have to say yeah well and it's weird because like like breaking as far as breaking the law and everything like that isn't a blatantly discriminatory Oh yeah, homophobic exactly. law. Yeah, that's not about laws, like that laws at all. It's broken. about yeah. discrimination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's really weird. I had no idea this was going on, but the mafia is involved in all of nice. these gay bars across 
New Amen. York because, I mean. Yeah, that's where their business if is. If they can't get a liquor license, mm-hmm. then they can't get the stuff they need. You know who can get that for you on the DL? The mob. The mob. Al Pacino will be there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like the Genovese. I think that was the name. The Genovese family. The I crime am, family had yeah. most, like, in had power over most of the stuff, uh, the gay that bars in right. this area in, like, Greenwich Village. Yeah. Um, so... They also, not only did they supply things like liquor, et cetera, et cetera, the mob also had the ability to, like, pay off cops and to pay off... Mm-hmm. Um, Politicians exactly. and lawmakers, stuff like well, that. Well, and apparently, like, there were some politicians or high-ranking people that showed up in these clubs. Oh, I'm sure and there the were. And the mafia was like, hey, there hey, give us a little bit of money been. or everyone's oh, we'll going you. Hey, we got these pictures of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they could even get the cops to warn them like they would tip off the mob like hey we're gonna raid these Mm -hmm. or we're gonna go on a raid or something just be prepared yeah and so they could have warning and either they had like these intense systems in these clubs they would have like certain gel lights and normal lights and the minutes that the minute that like they knew someone was coming all the lights would switch back and people would know like don't touch each other back up hide the alcohol like they had a pretty good system yeah i guess if you yeah if your whole like culture is well not culture but like yes, your whole like nightlife yeah. is built around that then yeah yeah so even if they can you know they have warning and everything the cops still know where these people mm-hmm. are congregating where the lgbtq community is going yeah which is finally what happens in june of 1969 so stonewall inn is a bar and it's one of those places that again was just blatantly discriminated against for no reason other than the um clientele that they're serving and they're not given a license and it was home to a lot of people it was mostly gay men there um women were admitted eventually and it just it was like i think the number i saw was in the 90s percentile for men and then just a few um lesbian Mm -hmm. women would um attend and apparently there were also quite a few drag queens that started to appear nice and not as many people tended to identify as transgender at this point for a multitude of reasons but other gay bars would actually like discriminate against them so double whammy um and they would like kick them out and stuff but stonewall that's always been like an issue with the in the gay community is like transphobia yeah yeah and i've i've noticed some people calling that out that like Mm -hmm. you can be you're, you're not a real ally unless you support that whole spectrum. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but at Stonewall, they're, I mean, they're at Stonewall. So they found a place that would accept them. And the, the queens have to be really careful because there's literally laws in place that moderate how you dress. And it was mm-hmm. called like the three-piece rule or like the three-article rule. That yeah. basically you couldn't wear more than three articles of clothing that are stereotypically associated with the other gender <laughs> what so, does it even mean i know and <laughs> i'm like it doesn't like it, it means nothing exactly and <laughs> i mean it makes me think about like candace owens yeah when she when harry styles wore the dress on the cover of vogue and looked incredible doing it <laughs> candace owens like went on that rant about how like men can't wear dresses just because they can't and it's one of those things like it makes me mad because men are getting in trouble and scorned at for wearing feminine clothing but mm-hmm. women are like at this point women are wearing pants yeah. women are wearing stereotypically yeah. masculine mm-hmm. clothing and it made me realize like the thing with candace owens made me realize it's not that they're dressing for another stereo stereotypically another gender it's the fact that femininity is what's being looked down upon yeah 
no one is having problems in the modern day. Candace mm-hmm. Owens doesn't have a problem with wearing suits and pantsuits. She has a problem with men wearing dresses. And I'm like, so you have a problem with the concept of femininity. And that's what makes me really mad. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I, if I wear a dress, which I do half the week, that yeah. shouldn't make me anything. Well, that's the thing. It's like, when you think about it, so many things boil down to misogyny. Yeah. Like, so many things. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> this again. <laughs> and it's like, skirts are great for a lot of things. It's breezier. It's more comfortable sometimes. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. And men should be able to enjoy fashion of all types. Just like women are more, it's commonly accepted that women enjoy fashion of all types. We yeah. get to wear, I mean, I know people that wear like boxers to bed and stuff like that that oh, are yeah. girls. And if yeah, they got in trouble common. for, if people mocked them for wearing boxers, all they say is it's more comfortable. And I they're know. right. If men find stereotypically women's clothing to be more comfortable, there's no problem with that. Mm-hmm. So that's still huge at this time period and it goes the other way as well not only could men not wear more than three pieces of clothing associated with the opposite gender but women couldn't which is harder to define because like we said women are wearing pants who's enforcing this like well that's the thing when this law is so vague the police get to decide who what when where and why they're enforcing that's never good yeah so it basically gives free reign for the cops to just say like oh that necklace like men wear necklaces but can they use that as an excuse yes you know Mm -hmm. um so stonewall and only opened a couple of years before this uprising in 1967 in greenwich village uh one account from an article i found at the atlantic describes how a lot of the demographic too was young people with super homophobic parents and how i mean this is still a disproportionate issue with lgbtqia plus Mm -hmm. youth um yeah but basically like these these teenagers were homeless a lot of them and they were sleeping in the parks around the area and they Mm -hmm. could go to stonewall to find acceptance or even someone who would buy them a drink because they couldn't afford it themselves i was gonna say like a cup of water (laughs) exactly (laughs) and i mean stonewall inn is not a classy bar yeah i mean the mafia runs it so they basically it's from one of the articles i read they basically like gutted it tore it out then put it back in without like real running water Mm -hmm. without a real like wet bar for the bartenders to use and everything they didn't Mm -hmm. have the best bathrooms even it was just kind of like a grunge dive place for people to congregate safely Mm -hmm. and they would like water down drinks and everything but it was still just a place to find your community i was gonna say when that's all you have exactly it's like paradise yeah you can't go to a restaurant you can't go anywhere where else you can't be out in public congregating so Mm -hmm. it was unfortunately the best they could find um and there are groups around like i think it's called the mattachine mattachine society um it's spelled m-a-t-t-a-c-h-i-n-e i had never heard of it before but um i'm glad i did because there were groups that were around dedicated to gay rights in the years leading up to this, they staged something called sip-ins, like a sit-in, but hmm. they were called sip-ins. And basically, they would go to these bars, announce that they were gay, and then if the bartender wouldn't serve them, they would threaten to sue. Hmm. So it was like a kind of a statement of like, you can't yeah. discriminate against us, like mm-hmm. legally you can't. Um, and 
so there's there's movements there's pushes for acceptance and everything but for a lot of these people a, a place like stonewall inn is the best they can find and it's a div- diverse group ethnicity wise there's uh racial diversity among the people it was mostly men with a few women and drag queens but it was also a wide age range so you have like an yeah. yeah. older age of clientele that could afford to buy younger men drinks or something like that you mm-hmm. know um or just yeah so well i mean i think it it probably helped build a sense of community when there is older people there yeah it makes you feel kind of more accepted not like you're an outlier but like this has Mm -hmm. been around we're comfortable here and yeah 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 so on tuesday june 24th the cops show up they're kind of just like messing with patrons and raiding the place that's on the 24th and they come back again but this time it's later in the week um but this time we have what we kind of consider the Stonewall Inn, like, instigator. It's the 28th Saturday. It's early hours of the morning, like, somewhere around, like, 2 or 3, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And there were two undercover cops or that had kind of been staking it out, and they, quote, had visual evidence, kind of. <laughs> like, so basically, okay. I don't know, they saw someone holding hands or they saw someone dancing together. I don't know. But they going and they're trying to find them so much you know that's a technique to find them so much that they have to shut down and then you don't have to say oh we arrested anyone it was just they Mm -hmm. had to um but raids often involve like getting rid of alcohol confiscating materials etc etc so after that they arrest 13 people um and the arrest process in these is less than like empirical i should say um for a lot of people who were presenting as a different gender, they would make them go into oh. the bathrooms and yeah. make them like strip. Yeah. To check, which is, I can't even. It's so violating. I, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that happens when cops perceive whoever they're arresting as less than yeah. human. Yeah. It's just complete degradation and. It's not okay. Yeah. Humiliation in any way. And, yeah. And, and other people, I mean, even those who they didn't suspect were transgender or drag queens or something like that, they would make them present ID. And so a lot of these people are presenting like military ID. Mm. I mean, that's a lot, it's a huge demographic. And so if you didn't have an ID, you just got arrested. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and there are underage people here looking for a community, looking to get off the streets for a night. And there was like a cover charge at Stonewall Inn. So you had to pay like $3 or something to get in the door, Mm -hmm. but it was also a bottle bar. So you could bring like whatever you wanted of your own alcohol. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, 13 people being dragged out of this club to be arrested. And, Usually what happens in these instances is that the crowd disperses. It's kind of like a preservation thing. Like, you're all going to get arrested if you don't. Um, Yeah, they can't catch us all. Exactly, exactly. So this time, however, people are sticking around. Like, there's a crowd gathering, and they're sick and Mm. tired of being pulled out of their only community spaces that they have claim to and being harassed and, in some cases, violently harassed by the police. And... So they kind of rally together. And within minutes, people on the streets are kind of, like, stepping in to watch what's going on. Yeah. And apparently there's a um, a woman. They I don't think they ever identified her. The, there's one woman that claimed it was her and her friends have backed that up, too. But basically they're dragging a lesbian out to the um, a paddy wagon, kind of like a 
prison van to load yeah. them all into mm-hmm. a cop van and mm-hmm. and she turns around and she's like yelling like why aren't y'all helping why aren't you like doing anything to this crowd that's surrounding them mm-hmm. and all of a sudden people are like i mean shit you're right like yeah. so they start you know they start like throwing things like like let yeah. go of them you're not a there's, there's no legal mm-hmm. grounds for you to arrest them you can't do that and they start standing up for themselves. The police retreat into the bar and they kind of try to barricade themselves inside while they call for reinforcements. But like, it's not just the cops in there. There's like a writer from the village voice that got mm. pulled in with them and the people that they were trying to arrest and take out to their vans get pulled back into the bar with them. Yeah. So somewhere along the way, um, a fire starts in the bar. Mm-hmm. like with these people inside it and the protesters are able to make it past the police get barricaded they're growing in numbers people are hearing the commotion from all over and they're yeah. pushing together they're able to put out the fire of course but that first night it's a crowd of a couple hundred people a few hundred maybe four to five hundred is the number i was seeing yeah okay just that's from, more than i would think yeah. yeah i mean just for people on the streets and nearby buildings and in the yeah. club it's a that's a pretty good amount that's of people. a pretty good amount of people yeah but by that Saturday, that next Saturday night, over 2,000 people wow. show up outside the bar to come together to just for kind of like community support. And they're chanting and protesting and singing songs and they're claiming, you know, like power, like yeah. over their space. And mm-hmm. they created this like human chain kind of thing that got attention from the police and the they they freak out and they call the riot police in to help yeah, them of course, and. Yeah. Um, it raises tensions. The only death I found attributed to any of this stuff was a taxi driver who mm-hmm. had a heart attack um, while the crowds were kind of like swarming the street that he was on. Gotcha. I don't know if that was a direct thing or indirect or what happened, but yeah, it died down for a couple of days after that over the kind of beginning of the work week when everyone had to, you know, be back at work. But the news kind of had spread and the the media outlets themselves were talking about them in like a really derogatory way, like calling them racial, like not racial yeah. slurs, sorry, but like slurs and stuff um, to insult them. And it pisses off the protesters, and they're like, "It's bad enough that you tried to basically like unlawfully arrest us, but now you're gonna smear us in the media too." And they're back out full force by that next Wednesday. They're mm. they're protesting in earnest. So this is now. like a long. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was like a week long okay. protest basically. Yeah. I think that's why they call it the Stonewall upright Stonewall uprisings like multiple. Yeah. Because over the course of this, there were multiple nights and stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. But like, within about two years of these riots, most major cities in the U.S. had activist groups like they formed groups that would were fighting for equality yeah um and it's interesting to watch to look at it in context of what else is going on this time period because there are other groups that are trying to be progressive and they focus on civil rights and they want to join in the cause so we see like other minorities helping each other out mm-hmm. um and i mean even within the the lgbtq community you have groups that didn't necessarily work together. Like they all want equal rights, but they weren't exactly like working together in the same way. And it becomes an opportunity to promote intersectionality. So during those six nights of the uprising or six or seven, I can't do math. It must've been six. Um, 21 people were arrested. Um, A lot of the injuries were from the clashes between police and protesters. And even without like, 
a, a, a martyr, you know, like one person yeah. that would have, I'm really glad no one died. Mm-hmm. Um, even without that, like, rallying call, it was really obvious that things were going to change. Yeah. Um, and so not after the, long after the Stonewall upright, I can't talk today. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so tired. Um, there's a pride parade that starts on Washington Square and went all the way to Stonewall. And they mm. were kind of getting more support from community and the they're raising money. They're holding events. They're trying to do things that will kind of organize the effort. And, and is this like the first Pride Parade? Or? Kind of, yeah. Like it was, okay. yeah. Because yeah. Pride now is organized, Pride Month falls around, falls in June because of the Stonewall. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I think a lot of the Pride Months are usually towards the end of the month or on that day exactly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is like huge for them though because it brings a lot of attention to them and they they start pushing for legal protections and confronting politicians and calling people out to support them. And that next year, thousands of people will participate in the Christopher Street Liberation Day March, which it kind of... I mean, none of them are, like, the Pride Parade or anything like that. But they're all, like, similar efforts to commemorate and talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Stonewall Uprisings were one of the first big things. So the Stonewall Uprisings are, like, one of the first big things that bring groups from all across the LGBTQ plus community together to protest and unite against this giant cause. And it's happening as other groups are starting to fight their rights, like we were talking about other minorities, um, you know, the civil rights movement is a multi-decade effort. So it's, it's hard to say that it was directly affected by, affected by any one particular event or person or like that. Um, but unfortunately it won't be long till the AIDS epidemic, like we talked about last week, comes and puts another damper on the progress for rights because yeah. people like Jerry Falwell and the media and people who just flat out demonize the community as you know, the cause for AIDS or saying that they deserve what they got with AIDS and stuff. So sorry guys, we are having some technical difficulties with Kat's mic. Hopefully I think it sounds like you're wrapping up. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not far out. Hopefully um, we can make it through the story. <laughs> and then I'll just hold my mic farther away from myself for a while. Yeah, We don't know what's happening, yeah. but it's what we got for today. So yeah. So I think I was talking about, Oh yeah. Um, there are people like Jerry Falwell that are like blaming, this and demonizing mm-hmm. the community um but out of it even though we're they're seeing some huge setbacks there are huge names that start to come up here and they're united not just by action but by name so you have things like glad and there are documented documented mm-hmm. do- documented mm-hmm. um rights civil rights groups for um the lgbtq plus community all the way back into the 20s, apparently, is the earliest documented yeah. one, which mm-hmm. I found fascinating and would be a really cool topic to talk about sometime. That would be, yeah. But you see, like, more of them now. So it's not just, like, that that one organization that supports gay people. Like, there's there's more of them now. You have options to choose from. If you yeah. don't necessarily, like, how one is going about its mission, you can look for another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, in 2019, the police commissioner in New York officially apologized for the actions that the police took back then it was like the 50 year anniversary and he's like yeah they they messed up and i mean it goes back to systemic issues like yeah the police were given basically free reign to title or label anyone as whatever they wanted and to take action against it how they saw fit which is not a right of a police officer that's not how they're supposed to do their job Mm -hmm. 
but now it marks uh, Pride Month, like we were saying, and the time of month when parades usually take place. And I think yeah. there's some big celebrations up in New York because of it. Um, and as we talk about it and as, you know, it's so easy to talk about this and feel like, oh, we won. We won something, you know, mm-hmm. like the allies and um, the community together were better now. And it's not necessarily like each of these events that we see happening. And I mean, it makes me think about Pulse, the, like the nightclub chain yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to think that progress has been made and then realize that progress is there's always going to be progress to be made. Yeah. Um, and there's always yeah. going to be setbacks and there's always going to be people that don't approve or use some justification to fight against it. And yeah. so I want to leave it with this that I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but if you or someone you know is struggling with this stuff or doesn't have, um, you know, the resources they need or something like that, there are resources all over the place and they're becoming more common now. Most yeah. most places have local ones, but we're from the South. So like I've, you know, there are some places every, in the I South that... I can guarantee that you, like, every major city has... Every major city does, and I know, like, some, some sort of people, organization, yeah. Some people are, like, out there in the boonies, though, and, you know... Yeah, that's the, true. The sticks of Texas and stuff like that, and yeah. don't have access to it. But, like, even if you don't have access in your personal hometown, there are... And like, I'm sure there's, like, online resources. I was about to say, the tech yeah. side of things. The Trevor Project is a fantastic one. They offer 24-hour confidential services and suicide prevention hotline for lgbtq plus youth um glad has resources even planned parenthood offers resources and a lot of them are online now so you know anyone who needs help or is looking to understand or do some reading even if you just want to be an ally to the community and help progress you know please please do and yeah feel free to donate to those places too and support them and Mm-hmm. Just make the world more inclusive. That's all I can say is that's the best we can do as people here on this little marble in the universe. Like, just <laughs> yeah. be nice. In the words of Gob Bluth from Arrested Development, love each other. <laughs> I love Arrested Mil- Development a little too much for those of y'all who don't know me. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that was really cool. And don't worry, we will cover Marsha. Yes. At a later date. Yeah. 1,000%. Well, I wanted to talk about her this week in yeah. tandem. And then I just realized that it's too it's too too much. Like, I couldn't yeah, talk about that her all own the episode. same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who were like, well, where's Marsha? We'll get to her. She's very important to mm-hmm. us and everyone else because she's an icon. But yes. Yeah. Well, that was really cool. Very informative. Kat, thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to hear about yours because I heard a little tidbit of it, but I want to yes. know details now. Um, mine is pretty cool. It's one of those things where I was like browsing for topics and then I got like really into this lady and I was like going to do another thing, but I was like, no, but this woman's so cool. So I did her. Um, yes. So. Without further ado, I guess I'll go. So today I'm going to be talking about Empress Wu Zhao slash Wu Zetian slash Empress Consort Wu slash Wu Hu slash Wu Mei Niang slash Mei Niang. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I aspire to be, but I need like 50 credentials after my name. I want like an MD, a PhD. like. So she has a million names. Uh, if you're counting, that's literally six. <laughs> Um, you go, none of girl. them are her birth name. We don't know her birth name. 
Invent um, your They're all just thing. like titles and various names she's earned uh, along the way. Also, I would like to start <laughs> by saying this now. Um, she is a Chinese empress, which unfortunately means that I will have to be pronouncing Chinese names, which unfortunately for everyone else means that you will have to listen to me pronounce Chinese names. So I will do my best. I'm really so trying. It's not the unfortunate pronouncing Chinese names. It's unfortunate no. that we can't. Yeah. Like, no, no. I'm not, I'm not upset about being Yeah. Our education has not prepared us for that like it should Yes. Have. I do not speak any form of China, of the Chinese language. So this, I've I, I've tried to look up pronunciations for most of this. There are some that I couldn't find, so we're going to have to do this together. <laughs> um, so Empress Wu, as I will call her, uh, was an empress and is the one and only woman empress in all of Imperial China. Really? Yeah. There was Literally no over 2,000 years of history, she is the only one that ruled in her own right. Talk about making a name for yourself. <laughs> Um, and I already know the name for my half of this episode. It's going to be China's, uh, first girl boss. Um, I like that. Yeah. It's so freaking funny. Um, yeah. So just for a bit of background, uh, she was a empress in the Tang dynasty of China, which was founded in 618 CE. This dynasty lasted almost 300 years and the height of the Tang dynasty would become of China, one of China's most prominent golden ages in all of Chinese history. Um, this is due to the unity of the country, which allowed residents to focus on things like trade arts and culture. Love and it it. just, um, if you know anything about Chinese history, you know that like the Tang dynasty was major, major, major golden mm-hmm. age. Like most, most dynasties have like their own like little golden age, but like right. Chinese history as a whole, this is a big golden age. Um, so the height of the Tang Dynasty would really kick in, and uh, in the seventh or sorry the eighth century, so the seven hundreds. And unfortunately, uh, Empress Wu does die in seven hundred five. But if you're paying attention, she really sets up the um, country hmm. for this golden age that they experience. And I'll talk more about that later. So pretty cool. Um, yeah. So as with a lot of people that are born. Um, at any point in the past, really. We don't know too much about her early life. She was born in 624 in um, the province of that is now modern Shangxi province, I believe. I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced. Shangxi province. Um, she's born there. And uh, we, for the time period, considering we do know a decent amount, if not a lot. Uh, she went from the 17 or from 700s. 600s oh geez 600s yeah <laughs> i i would be impressed if we had anything, anything on her i know childhood. and i guess because she does eventually become emperor like we do we do know things about her but mm-hmm. like i'm impressed with what we do have yeah so we know that her family was wealthy her father was a man by the name she or a uh, woo she huo or there's two names for him if you don't know this about non-roman so non um like 26 letter alphabet language mm-hmm. like we use in the west the european language kind of yeah yeah uh they call them like roman languages uh for a long time when they would romanize so translate mm-hmm. languages based on characters into alphabetic languages right they had a million different spellings for literally everything. So not make it easier on themselves. (laughs) That's why, like, you can look up, like, I know you've done research like this, Kat, but if you do, say, a research 
on a Chinese a topic in Chinese history, you have to look up yes the modern day spelling, but also like yeah. ten other spellings because they didn't standardize um, how to romanize um, character based languages until like the seventies. So <laughs> yeah, this is a little tricky. So we have like a bunch of spellings for all of the people here. I try to stick with one, but her father. Um, and they do affect, like, how you pronounce them. And so, like, the, the two spellings for her father was Wu Shi Yue and Wu Shi Huo. Uh, so it's two very different sounding things. But anyway, so he was a high chancellor, and he basically ensured that he had a good education. He was actually a very key figure in her early life. He uh, really enforced on her that um, education was important. Love and to see it. that she was equal to men. Um, apparently he, like, raised what? her to believe that, like, no, I'm Dad of the just year as good as a man. Too. I know, it's, like, really surprising to hear. Um, so, <laughs> uh, and he basically ensured that she got this, like, education that was super great. And, you know, these are all in the, all the educated topics, like literature and music, your classical education, stuff like that. But he also ensured that she was educated in things like politics and government affairs from an early age. She was also known as a strong-willed child, and she was apparently more interested in reading and other academic pursuits than other, quote-unquote, womanly pursuits, like cross-stitch oh, or something. Hey, no knocking cross-stitch here. <laughs> Listen, I've done, I've done my fair share of cross-stitch. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I was going to be an emperor, I would probably focus more on politics than cross-stitch. That's fair. And then you could cross-stitch death threats for all the politicians you don't like. That's basically what she does. <laughs> um, but like Use I said, femininity for strength. <laughs> exactly. But like I said earlier, we don't actually know her birth name. We just know like the various titles she had throughout her life. So at age 14, Empress Wu was sent to the palace to work as a concubine. Um, this is something is I had. Concubine to f- or cohort? Or concubine. Okay. Um, this is something I had to figure out as I was doing this research because I was like very confused so this is a quote from the World History Encyclopedia article on her. So it says, quote, although the function of a concubine in China is almost always associated with sex, a woman in this position could have a number of non-sexual responsibilities from daily tasks like taking care of the laundry to more specialized skills like conversation, poetry, reading, and playing music. So she was a concubine, and we do know that she worked in the laundry. That's interesting. Um, I've always had concubine presented to me as a sex worker. Yeah. And then a consort as a yes. more intellectual partner. But, yes. like, that's... No. They were very synonymous, and I had to, like, learn this as I did these notes because it's... It's a little confusing because I think just because the sex work part of it is so, like, scandalous and such a thing that people focus on, then it kind of, like, erases everything else. Well, I apologize to any historic figures that I have been confused about or any time I've presented them Well, I think, like I said, sex work was still part of it, usually. But it wasn't their only thing that they did. Um, And I, I did find out in... The Chinese emperor system in the, the court system, there were nine ranks of concubines. Oh. And so you had, you know, one through nine, one being the highest, nine being the lowest. She made her way to the fifth rank of concubine, which is pretty good. That's good. Pretty good. Right. But keep in mind, she does end up as the emperor. So it's a big leap a, from who, fifth rank concubine to little empress of china like with the biggest freaking country in the world at this time basically so (laughs) literally what a queen yeah so she 
yeah, so it's like kind of unclear that she did sex work. So we can kind of imply later that yes, she definitely did because while she did work in the laundry when she first arrived in the palace, she was very quickly promoted because she caught the attention of then Emperor Taizong, uh, who was apparently so struck by her beauty and intelligence that he promoted her to be his secretary. So someone you can kind of imply hmm. working that close with him yeah. would probably be doing some sex work yeah. as well. But her beauty and intelligence is something that she's known for literally until she's an old woman. Like literally until she was in her like 60s and 70s, people were writing like poems about how beautiful she was. Wow, look at this non So she must have been a Empress. knockout, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so all we know is that she made her way quickly up the ladder. She kind of got, like I said, she caught the intention um, of Emperor Taizong, who did actually give her one of her names, which was Mei Niang, which basically means beautiful girl. Oh. Um, and that name is often incorrectly attributed to be her birth name, but it's not. It's just like a little nickname he gave her. So, yeah, so that during this time uh, in her more prominent position of secretary, Empress Wu became apparently became very popular among the high level men of the court system. Mm -hmm. She quickly drew the attention of many prominent people besides the emperor, most notably the emperor's son, Li Ji. She was also so favored by people, men that apparently people wrote folk songs about her and they were very popular in the province that they were in. (laughs) Um, But her main guy was, uh, you know, old Prince Li Ji. And uh, this was problematic for multiple reasons. One, imp- uh, future Empress Wu was literally already his father's concubine. So like already promised him mm-hmm. and therefore not to his son. And also Li Ji was married, which this like... Is, I'm assuming that they... I don't know much about like court culture, even in like, just in this time period, I don't know much. So like, would it be taboo i mean i've always thought that in this time period they were kind of they objectified women a little bit more and yeah. like would it be uncommon for one concubine to be working for a father and son if they were both yes. like royalty yeah and i'll get to that in a minute okay yeah um the thing that's less like scandalous is the fact that liji was interested in a concubine and also had a wife because that was pretty normal mm-hmm. um and, uh, but we'll get to this later but his wife wasn't favorable of um woo and she was like kind of jealous of the attention that she got but the thing with the father and the son that was like a little sketch okay so apparently liji was like very deeply in love and we see that later and he basically stays in love with her for the rest of his life oh um cute (laughs) so how concubines worked during this time in china is after the death of whatever emperor they belonged to they were sent to a nunnery literally Oh. Yeah. So when Emperor Taizong dies, uh, Empress Wu and all the other concubines were sent to Ganye Temple to live as nuns after his death. Um, And this was a Buddhist temple. And this was a very common practice after the death of an emperor. Does nun mean something different in Buddhist religion? No, it means what you would think of as a nun. Okay. Yeah. Every source I saw was just like, oh, it was nuns. It was a, yeah, a nunnery or something. So what's even more interesting is Li Ji was so in love that he broke one of these kind of unspoken rules. He went and he got 
Empress Wu out of the nunnery and brought her back and established her as his first concubine. Huh. Yeah. So wow. he was like, she's playing the long game. Oh, she is. Let me tell you. There's like stories that like, oh, he went like several times and like, you know, they conspired together. And we don't really know about any of that. Again, but... we should tell our friend. There's so many stories that our fr- our filmmaker friend would oh, probably yeah. fall in love with. I know. So anyway, so some one way or the other, Li Ji did kind of violate this unspoken rule and bring Empress Wu to and back and make her his first concubine and this took a little bit uh, of time so during that time you know he had his wife who goes or whose name is lady wong and he also has his original first uh concubine by the name of zhao chu fei and um so when he goes and gets empress wu you know lady wong and first original first concubine zhao were very upset and that leads to some drama. And oh. this, <laughs> and here we come to like probably the most notable and historic story, quote unquote, of, I don't believe so, but it's definitely the story that people know most about Empress Wu and her time in charge. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so now, you know, uh, so by the way, Li Ji does become emperor after his father dies and he goes by the name of Gao Zong. Uh, and so, <laughs> so there's some, there's some drama and this is some tea. So Lady Wong, who again is wife to Gao Zhang, the now emperor and the former first concubine Zhao, uh, were reportedly very impre- envious of Wu and the attention that she received from the emperor. Hmm. And apparently early on there were some conspiring against her, but nothing really happened. And then things got worse uh, because uh, Wu eventually had two sons by the emperor, uh, one in 652 and the other in 653. Lady Wang had not been able to have children, and the former first concubine, Zhao, had one son and two daughters who would have lost their status when she lost her status as the first concubine. Oh. Yeah. But it was, like, not an inherent, like, not a, like, succession thing because apparently Emperor Gong's goes on... Oh, sorry, Gao Zong, um, had already chosen his heir, which was a cousin of his wife's. So I guess because his wife wasn't able to, like, have children, he just uh-huh. went ahead and picked someone from her side of the family. So it, like, wasn't related to that, but it was jealousy. Yeah. Because, you know, status and wealth and future security and all that kind of stuff is in play when you consider all those factors. So basically, this kind of feud culminated in the death of Wu's first daughter, her third child. So this is how it happens. So two sons and then a daughter. A daughter. When the daughter was a newborn, she was found strangled in her crib. <gasps> and we don't know who did it. Lady Wang was reportedly one of the first, or one of the last to be seen with the child and was not able to provide an alibi for the night. So she probably killed her. Oh my yeah so that's yeah that's not even subtle this is where it gets this is where it gets weird this is where it gets juicy okay (laughs) this is where we get a lot of the oh my god this is where historiography and sources and all those things really come into play so empress future empress wu's daughter dies right murdered murdered the debate is whether lady wong did it or if wu did it and blamed it on lady wong 
she wanted to get rid of her lady wong she would sacrifice because her own you know what happens as part of the ploy to get if you ask of- future chinese historians yes she would she hated her that much that she was willing to ch- kill her so own daughter. so we don't know so we okay so the story goes if so after empress wu died people like did not like her because she was like a lady and she was like daring to rule and everything and they like so histories when they were written um, in Chinese history, imperial histories, they were usually written for future rulers to consider. And they did not want another female ruler. They did not want anything like this to happen again. So they basically demonized everything Lady or Empress Wu did. Of course. So we do not know. Uh, basically, all the histories say Empress Wu did it. We don't know. And I'm going to say no, she probably didn't. I feel like if... I feel like she's cunning and conniving, but I don't feel she's like, she's like, I'm going to murder my daughter because like, well, like with no guarantee you know, that her rival would be banished for like the, I mean, without yeah. the guarantee that she would be banished because everyone could have been like, Oh, it was someone else. And we would have yeah. killed her own daughter for nothing. Like, and yeah. I doubt that that almost sounds like men of the time being like, Oh, women are so yeah. hormonal. She did. She went crazy and killed her own daughter just Literally. to deal with her jealous and that's rival. Like, there's and that's there's very... all these rumors about her killing multiple family members, not just her daughter. Like that almost her feels like siblings, that her mother, like misogynistic idea of hysteria. Yeah. Me. Like, and it was, and it was a lot of it was rooted in, Oh, she's a woman and she did all these horrible, bad things. But not to make things any better for Wu, she did double down and accused Lady Wong, Lady Wong's mother, and the former first concubine, Zhao, that, and she accused them all of practicing witchcraft, and she had them all exiled. So, they were all exiled. Gaozong, Emperor Gaozong, divorced Lady Wong and raised Wu uh, to be the position of first life, wife and, lady, and empress. So now she's Lady Wu. She is officially the empress. She's not in charge yet, but she has status. She's like the queen, you know? So (laughs) basically somehow daughter dies. uh, These people get exiled. She's queen now, right? And that has been dragged through the mud. Whoever is responsible for what, we don't know. I tend to say maybe Lady Wong killed the daughter, but maybe Wu took advantage of the situation. Yeah. Which is, like, gross to say because it's, like, her daughter died, but... But also, like, it's that <laughs> political thought process. It's, like, you can't yeah. change the fact that your daughter died, but can you use it to, like... Yes. Keep your son yes. safe and, and keep I, yourself I safe? I will say... Because if I knew someone yeah. killed my daughter, how long is it till they come for me yeah. in the flesh? Like, I mm-hmm. would be using that to get rid of them, too, yeah. if I thought that mm-hmm. they killed my daughter. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's all these wild and crazy accounts of the story some of them are that apparently Wu and Lady Wong got along great and they both conspired to get rid of uh, Zhao but then Wu betrayed Lady Wong um and then blamed the daughter the death of her daughter on Lady Wong and got rid of her oh my god there's just so many this is Game of Thrones (laughs) it's like so many different like we know that the historians who are writing the story down were unreliable just based on Mm -hmm how they perceived woo, how they perceived history, how they what they were how intending they to do women. with the history, how mm-hmm. they perceived women, all this kind of stuff. So we can't rely on them fully. All we know is, is that this series of events happens and then Wu becomes Empress, right? She's now married to Gaozhong. So very complicated. But 
her life as an empress actually was like very good. She had this like outward reputation of being like very quiet, docile, very like queenly traditionally. But in reality, she was calling major shots from basically day one. Love it. Um, and uh, not to like, <laughs> not to do great things for her reputation, but she did have Lady Wong and Zhao killed after they went to exile. Mm. So that's like suspicious. That's right? a little sus. Maybe she did kill her own daughter, but... Mm. I, I don't want to say, yes, she did, but something weird's happening there, yeah. right? Like, something something's weird. We are she missing was, pieces of this puzzle. Yes. <laughs> she was very driven and very willing to do what she needed to do, but, like, you didn't need to kill them. They're already uh, in exile. Like, yeah, that just looks bad for you. They're not coming back from that. Yeah. So... <laughs> And there, apparently there was this, like, this story about how she, like, drowned them in wine and, like, cut their hands off and stuff what? like that. Like, I don't know. Something crazy. But it also very similarly resembles this other, this empress of another danger empress, which I don't even know if it's, like, a story, like, a myth or if it's, like, a real thing. But it, it resembled this other story in, like, mm. popular Chinese, like, folk lore of another empress who did a very similar thing to apparently one of the concubines. So it's like, did she really do that? Or, or are you just this, playing off of this like yeah. folktale that everyone you else like, believes she's the folktale incarnate? Like. Yeah. Um, and so uh, uh, soon after she became empress, there was an earthquake. Um, and if you don't know, earthquakes and other natural disasters have long been interpreted by the Chinese as bad omens, specifically bad omens for whoever happens mm-hmm. to be ruling at the time. So when there was an earthquake right after she became Lady Wu and married the emperor uh, <laughs> and, quote, manipulating events as a man would, uh, which was definitely not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this this is where the timeline gets a little fuzzy. Basically, I might save this for later. Actually, I'm going to save this for later. Don't let me forget about the earthquake, right? Earthquake. Okay. It is. In my post-it yeah. note in my brain. I don't know why all the articles put this first. I don't know why they needed to talk about it so much. It comes later in the timeline. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> so during her time uh, as, you know, empress, she did a lot of things. So as early as 660, we know that she's kind of in charge now as early as 660. And her, just for reference, her daughter, the story about her daughter was killed. Uh, was in six took place in 665 so she had some control um as early as 660 so she's not even before she's like officially married yet so in the year around them he had contracted some sort of disease some sort of thing happened to him where he couldn't see so Wu was reading and writing for him and quote-unquote relaying his decisions as early as Mm -hmm. before her daughter died in the year 666 Wu had enough pull to lead a group of women to perform a ceremony on Mount Tai, an event traditionally reserved only for men. Also in 666, she had secured an equal place alongside her husband, and she would receive guests with him, um, and with her throne being, like, the same height as him. So she would sit right next to him as an equal and -hmm. receive guests and other... So, like, this is a big deal. Like, no one did that. And this is, like, pretty soon after... She's, like, back in the mm. castle, right? Mm. Um, in 668, she was instrumental in organizing a military campaign against Korea that forced the country into becoming a vassal state. Um, 
uh, eventually, in like the 670s, Gao Zong changed his title to Emperor of Heaven, and Wu, right alongside her, changed hers to Empress of Heaven. Uh, Gao Zong would die in 683, and this left Wu to basically rule on her own. And this goes back to the earthquake story. So, right after he dies, there's an earthquake, right? And this earthquake, there like is either a mountain that gets heightened or a new mountain that shows up after this earthquake. Like from, like the earthquake itself. Oh, like the fault yeah. lines create. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know how accurate this is. Again, you know, it's very old history, but whatever. There's some sort of mountain that appears, and this is like seen as a bad sign, because there's a whole superstition around natural disasters, and people are like, oh, there is, you know, the earth is telling us to dispel this evil empress woman woman <laughs> and it's like okay first of all it doesn't even make sense because like why would a mountain be like a bad thing right <laughs> you would, uh, if a new mountain up here i'd be like wow great magic like, wow, like, do like, it again super cool is that my mountain As like, the can empress? i have it yeah <laughs> so uh, but she from the beginning kind of knew how to handle a pr thing and she tried her best to like turn into something good she claimed that it was a positive thing because it resembled the buddhist mountain of paradise sumeru and she even named it mount felicity but yeah. this unfortunately did little to quiet the unease accord around the country with one of her ministers writing quote your majesty a female ruler improperly has occupied a male position which has inverted and altered the hard and soft Therefore, the earth's emanations are obstructed and separated. This mountain, so born of the sudden convulsion of the earth, represents a calamity. Your majesty may take this as, quote, Mount Felicity, but your subject feels there is nothing to celebrate. To respond properly to heaven's censure, it is suitable that you lead the quiet life of a widow and cultivate virtue. Otherwise, I fear further disasters will befall us all. So instead of wow. following his advice and living the quiet life of a widow, as he so suggests, she had him exiled. <laughs> and this is a quote from the I mean, world. that's a ball move. <laughs> right? Like, okay, shut up. <laughs> um, and we'll see that she did that a lot. She did that. Anyone who, like, she didn't agree with, she's like, leave. That's a big energy right there. She's like, you have to uh, shut up and leave. Like, <laughs> uh, So quote from the world history encyclopedia article that i think kind of sheds a light on why she's perceived as so controversial so quote this particular minister was silenced but that did not silence the rest they were just more careful not to speak their mind in front of her their antagonism towards a female ruler eventually would find its way into histories which recorded her reign and become the quote facts which future generations would accept as truth so she did you know, oust anyone who spoke out against her, but that just meant everyone else would be super quiet and yeah, then, like, would kind of get, like, fed up with her. And so, like, yeah, she could trust him at the time, but, like, later when she died, they would, like, turn her back against – or turn their backs against her. So it's – you know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of factors working against her right now, and all because she's a woman just trying to rule. Um, so <laughs> she does – after the death of her husband, she does try to do her job and, and state her first son as emperor. So her first son uh, succeeds the throne. He would he's uh, becomes Emperor Zhao Zhang or Zhang Zhang. Um, but <laughs> uh, but apparently both he and his wife were very uncooperative with her. And his wife comes back. Don't worry. And oh, his wife oh like was very you know pushy. He she really overstepped. She this tried is the to daughter-in-law. Yeah, daughter-in-law. She tried to instate her own family members, and Wu was like, whoa, 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 what are I'm you doing? I'm still in charge. What are you doing, honey? I'm the mother-in-law. 
I'm in charge here. I've been ruling for longer than you've been born. <laughs> like, so she didn't hand the throne. So she she gave the throne to her first son as she was supposed to do. So he. So does... she's like the queen regent right now. She's yeah. like okay. Mm-hmm. So she does become emperor, or he does become emperor, and he has his official oh, emperor oh, title and everything. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but. Wu does not like how he's running things, and she does not like mm. the daughter-in-law. So she's like, bye. And she charged them both with treason, and she banished them. What? Yep. Her <laughs> own child? She's like, bye. Apparently, this guy comes back, and he's, like, not, like, capable to do anything. But, like... <laughs> you could just demote him. You don't have I know. to, like, banish him. <laughs> She's just like, bye. Leave. <laughs> so Lord. she tried again. As she should have. I, You know, I really feel like she's doing her due diligence here. She tried with her second son, who earned the title of Emperor Ruizong. And despite keeping him on a very short leash, she basically kept him on house arrest in the in the palace. He managed to, to disappoint her still, and she forced him to abdicate. She didn't banish him. She just forced him to abdicate. So it was maybe a disappointment just, instead of going against her, you know? Yeah. Maybe she just really didn't like the daughter-in-law and was like, I never want to see you again. <laughs> Fair. Um, so... This means that, um, and she sees the throne after she forced her son, her second son to abdicate. So she was officially emperor in her own right in the year of 690. And this is the first and only time this happens in all of Chinese history. She proclaims herself as Emperor Zetian, which uh, means ruler of the heavens. So she's, again, you know, claiming that divine right very much so. It's very Taoist. Very much like her late husband did, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So during her time as ruler, she was able to get quite a lot done in court. And there was a quote from one of the articles I read that I really liked. It was kind of this dual emperor. She kept such a tight lock on court and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. She, like, you know, firm, like, very, like, like almost fascist in a way. Like, very strict ruler yeah. to those in court. But to her people, to her 50 million people, civilian, she was very kind and benevolent. It's so weird to me because, like, yeah, bare bones, that sounds like a fascist ruler. Banishing yeah. and charging treason to anyone that, like, you don't agree with. Yeah. But also, like, mad props, girl. <laughs> you became, Robots. Like, you, almost, it's like you almost did something right. I mean, you're Hashtag the only girl woman boss. that became an empress. I know. Girl boss. Wait, gatekeep? Girl boss. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah. Gaslight. Guess I keep girl boss. Girl boss. That's literally her motto. <laughs> um, oh God. So um, in the six back back in the six sixties, she formed a secret police, which was something that allowed her, which was very apparent effective. Ooh, apparently, I don't like that. I'll yeah, admit, not that's a great a little... thing. But the only thing she really used it for was to prevent any potential insurrection. It wasn't anything beyond that. Still I'm secret. Sure, I love it. Any, still... any secret police under the singular control, not of the people, but of a ruler, is a little yeah. sketch. So, like, don't love that. But as far as I can tell, it really didn't seem like it went anything beyond just making sure that, like, she stayed in power. Okay. Which is like, okay. I mean, if she is an emperor, you know? Like, yeah. You it's know. not great, but it's not the worst. I mean, all kings and queens are fascist at some point. <laughs> and some presidents, too. Oh, what? 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 Mm. <laughs> what? Anyway. <laughs> wow, we can't go on that soapbox today. Yeah. I will fall down a rabbit hole. Uh, but actually, one of the most impressive things she manages to do is the Tang Dynasty was, you know, it was young and it was crumbling. And she pieces it back together through military strategy, through 
uh, public works through all this stuff. She puts the Tang Dynasty back together and creates it so that it will have the golden age that is still known as China's greatest golden age, you know? Um, She transformed the way people could get in contact with their empress. This is where this, like, direct, like, basically a suggestion box she like puts one oh my in every gosh, like I town square I love that. and it was a suggestion box yes that people could talk directly with the emperor quote unquote but it was also a way for people to record report corrupt officials and any possible insurrections i do love that because it's like i mean did she ever read them all no was it probably her advisors that read them and yeah. then sent the ideas that were important up to her yeah, yeah. but like it does create that whole like intimate intimate like yeah. personal relationship with your ruler yeah. and it, it buys loyalty exactly and when you think about china during this time it's very bureaucratic like extremely bureaucratic you know like it's a tang dynasty there's all of these examinations you have to take all of these like it, it, it very bureaucratic if you had a complaint it would have to go through miles and miles and miles of red tape mm-hmm. and so this is a way for people to you know Talk to their empress, and that's awesome. Um, she commissioned the famous wild goose pagoda. That was her. She oh. had it built. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Crazy. I did not know that. Um, hmm. Which was, at the time, likely the tallest building in the world, which was at 10 stories. It did leave uh, lose three stories from an earthquake in the 1600s. But at the time, it had 10 stories. I was going to say, for the time period, I can't even imagine. 10 stories in the year like 690 like isn't that crazy so uh she really had an interesting task because china as a whole was very resistant to change and was very concerned with keeping tradition and staying with what had been done so she would often manipulate or even rewrite history to allow for new innovations over under her rule one of the most prominent ways we see her doing this is by elevating the status of women she encourages the study of women's history. She talks about great women of the past. She has volumes and books written all about women's history. It's almost like history. if you learn about a full and well-rounded history, you're more prepared for the future. But well, yeah. And what she do did I know this, about that? Well, she did this specifically because she was making moves to give women a better status in yes. China. So she wanted to create this idea of, like, look at all these things women can do and at the same time, oh, by the way, I'm elevating the status of the nine ranks of concubines equal to the same as the nine ranks of bureaucrats. Whoa. So, like, she's making big changes. And the Tang Dynasty is known as one of the most free periods for women in Chinese history. I mean, you know, comparatively. But, like, right. um, like if you look up, like, Tang Dynasty, that's, like, going to be one of the major characteristics you see. And it starts here. It starts with her putting this effort in. Um, a little bit about how Chinese, uh, emperors ruled whenever they come into power, they would usually start time over. And by that, I mean, they would start it like, okay, now is day zero. Mm-hmm. Um, when I am coronated, it's day right. one of everything. Right. So sh- these are called rain eras in total. She had 12 rain eras. Mm. <laughs> she did it every time she felt something new and prominent. Come on. So she was very, she's a very superstitious woman. She's a big believer in omens. And one omen she started a new rain era for was when she regrew a tooth because she thought it was mm-hmm. going to be a time of new prosperity and longevity for China. So she started a new rain era and had a big parade and, all this for stuff. her tooth for her tooth because she was super superstitious and she was like no okay. this is a good sign and i was like you, hey man if you're the empress you can do what you want to do why can't i say t- maybe it was like, 
don't know how you a grow a tooth. Maybe they just like shifted so bad in her mouth that she didn't I don't know. know which was which anymore. I don't know. That, I was also thinking about that. Apparently also she had like this wizard make her like a longevity potion. Oh. And like she I mean, apparently felt. Worked. She, yeah. She apparently felt better after she drank it. And so she started a new rain era then too. It's so. like Rasputin, but <laughs> yeah. Chinese. Yeah, so. Seven, 700s. <laughs> so she, you know, I can't even list everything she does. She seems like, honestly, a very great and kind and benevolent emperor. She Unless rebuilt, you piss her off. Yeah, yeah. Unless you work in the courts and piss her off. So yeah. she rebuilt. Or a child of hers. Yeah. She, hey, I would not want to work for her, but I would live where she was in charge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she rebuilds ancient ruins and makes them even more grand than they were. She very swiftly, or and this is where I have this point, she very swiftly got rid of any official that dared to speak out for her, ousting probably hundreds of court officials during her 40 years in power. Were a lot of those left over from her husband's reign? <sighs> probably, was, and people just like were there. Bureaucrats. almost, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she prioritizes rhetoric and those kind of pursuits she was really into rhetoric specifically and public speaking apparently there was this one guy who like wrote something bad about her and she like stood up and like read it to the court of her like ministers and she was like this is your fault that he's speaking bad about me and saying that like they should revolt against me and all her ministers are like super confused and she's (laughs) like it's your fault because you didn't hire him He's really good at talking. He should be on my payroll. <laughs> like, wow, that's a baller. So man. she had like this like sense of humor, and this guy was like talking shit about her, and she was like, "He's so good at writing. Why is not he work for me?" So like, good at talking shit. Why is he talking shit on me, not my enemies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, "I want this guy. Like, what the heck?" It's like so the FBI hiring the best hackers, and they yeah, find them cu- yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So like, you're too I don't know. She seems like a character. World. You know, she might have killed her daughter, but and banished both her son. Well. Banished one son and then just severely demoted the other. She definitely seems like someone, like her son's boy probably have some issues there. Mommy issues. Wow. You, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Um, I don't know. Definitely a character. She's one. She's a fun one. And I've also never heard of her. So I'm like kind of I upset. I haven't either. That's why I was like. I'm you, like, this you is mentioned, you were such like, a cool lady. Or I could do a Chinese empress. And I was like, well, I mean, I know what yeah. I want to hear. Well, I didn't realize she was literally the only one. Yeah. That's insane. Anyway, so she was one of the first uh, prominent supporters of Buddhism in China. A religion during her time would grow to surpass both Buddhism or both um, Taoism and Confucianism. And Buddhism is still like a major religion in China today. She lowered taxes, raised salaries, promoted education, created farming jobs, and much, much more. All around, she was like a pretty, wow. pretty awesome ruler for the, for her subjects, just not for her, you know court officials so here's where we get into the controversy so she's a very controversial figure as we've discussed a little bit why Mm -hmm. her reputation was on thin ice at the best of times and when she died it was just completely demolished and demonized by any historian who's writing about her so historians basically wanted to ensure that she lived in infamy so that another woo could never happen this meant that every single action of her was picked apart and corrupted made and, worse and made worse and lies were told about her. Hyperbolized? Yeah. Hyperbolized? Is that a word? No, I'm going to say it's a I'm, word. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all know the intent of the word at least. Yeah. So, like, 
we have a really hard time exaggerated that's the what i was looking for not hyperbolized (laughs) yeah so we have a really hard time knowing like what the truth is and there's a whole smithsonian article smithsonian magazine article about specifically the demonization of woo and so this is a quote from a contemporary that writing about her so it says that she was uh, with a heart like a serpent and a nature that like that of a wolf. She favored evil psychopaths and destroyed good and loyal officials. <laughs> she killed her sister, butchered her elder brothers, murdered the ruler, poisoned her mother, and she is hated by gods and men alike. Oh, that's so a big condemnation like, right there. This is what contemporaries are saying about her. So, like, people really hated her. And the biggest reason people mm. can think of for this, well, the Smithsonian Magazine can actually provide four reasons why people can think of for this. But I'm going to say it all boils down to her being a woman. Again, this okay. is a very Confucian society. Everything has its role. Everything is balanced. If you upset that balance, it's bad. Um, um, I will talk about the four reasons from the Smithsonian article because I think it summarizes everything very well. Uh, the number one is that the reason why we have this perception of her, well, not so much now, but definitely in the past, was that there weren't very many sources that survived from back then. So the ones that did were not very favorable. Yeah. yeah. So if you only have two sources and they're both saying like, hey, this girl sucks. It's yeah, like because you could have, if you have 40 and 20 of them are good, 20 of them are bad, then yeah. you have it even. But if you have two left, one is good, one is bad, then you, you feel yeah. like that bad is more overwhelming of uh-huh. a statement. Well, too, it's like, you know, she could have had 40 biographies written about her. And if we have two that survived and they both are negative, then, then that's we what is, we yeah. perceive as, oh, people must have hated her, you know? Or maybe someone destroyed them wanting the only bad ones mm, to survive. Scandal. <laughs> um, the second reason is that imperial histories were written to be lessons for future rulers, as I mentioned before. And they definitely didn't like usurpers or women, of which she was both. At least she was perceived as both. I, I, could, see, I could see what you would call her a usurper, but... You know, what? Anyway, um, I mean, she definitely came to power not illegitimately, but also definitely not legitimately. Yeah. Um, so apparently, as I kind of said before, she was prone to tampering with the record herself to kind of manipulate things in her favor. So not great for a ruler, but not great. But again, she is the ruler, and you know, at this time, it kind of was this idea of like you had free reign. You know, it didn't matter if. As history people, it's hard for us because you're like, no, it has to be, like, accurate history. But, like, they were like, yeah, it's the ruler. She can do whatever she wants. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to stop me? Yeah, exactly. So, and this last bullet, which is obviously, like, a big issue, too, is the writers themselves likely had very personal biases against her because these are contemporary writing, contemporaries writing Mm -hmm. for her. And as I mentioned earlier, if there were these people in the courts that had to kind of, like, keep quiet then Mm -hmm. they're not going to love her. So at the end of her life, uh, Wu's superstition kind of became elevated. And this caused her to retreat further and further kind of into the um, palace, not really come out anymore. It also caused her to banish more and more people from her court, which caused it to become an inefficient and ineffective against against plots against her that's true with too much turnover you lose the yeah and she just was like i think it got to a point where she was firing so many people she like couldn't replace them uh also she like took a 
two companions, um, which many sources point out would not have been a big deal if it was a man taking up two companions, yeah. but she was a woman. So she had these two So we're going to have a double standard. Yeah. I don't think they were boys. I think they were young men, maybe like late teens, mm-hmm. 20s, but I An don't think they were at young. That, at that they, I think they were, yeah, at least grown, um, but they were younger and she was, you know, in her 70s at this point. Oh, wow. Uh, and an she gal. hung out with these two boys all the time. They're called the, Z- the Zong brothers. And sh- they were best friends, apparently. And they hung out in and out of the bedroom. As long as that was, <laughs> as long as that's their legal age, like there was a good legal age of consent, you go, girl. Yeah. Uh, again, none like, of the sources well, and you said I she was saw. really pretty, like in like, her yeah. whole life. Yeah. None of the sources I saw called them, like, young I think they were young for adults, but I don't think they were, like, young boys. Gotcha. Uh, so, like, they they would hang out a lot. And, you know, of course, because it's a double standard, that caused a lot of people to, like, be like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. scandal. So all of this kind of culminates in her son, the first one, Zhang Zhang, Emperor Zhang Zhang, usurping her and forcing her to abdicate her throne. Uh, <laughs> so he kind of like builds a successful, uh, rebellion against her and he reclaims the throne in 704 and she was already, her health was like already on the decline, but she like this added stress and like all of this stuff caused her to pass away in the year of 705. Oh. So kind of an underwhelming end to a, definitely uh, an interesting lady, but I think freaking awesome lady i don't know she's kind of hilarious somewhere in there this is very dramatic and i love it um so a little bit about so like i said she was the only female empress in her own right and there are other rulers we will will definitely get to um in the future because they were very significant over chinese politics and the way china uh china kind of progressed as a country uh when like they had the power over whoever Mm -hmm. was ruling there's a word for that. I'm forgetting right now. Um, I am too. Sovereign. No, no, I don't know. It's like a term. Yeah, anyway, it would usually it. be in the situation of their husband is incapacitated for some reason, unable to rule, or they had a young son who was not yet 18 mm-hmm. or able to take the throne, blah, blah, blah. So they would rule kind of in their stead. And there was a lot of those. And they were very famous and very influential. But she was the only one who ruled in her own right under her own name, which was mm-hmm. really cool. Um, the funny thing is that Zhang Zhang, the son, apparently his wife, Lady Wei, who I mentioned earlier, you know, the the daughter-in-law. Caddy one who was not. She herself was a concubine. And guess what? She took after mother-in-law, Lady Wu. Oh, really? And she apparently, from what we can tell, was one of those <laughs> empresses who basically did the ruling herself. So she had like significant power under her son. So okay. even though, yes, she had to give up the throne to her son, who was a man, there was still a lady in charge. Even a if, presence. Yeah, even if Wu did not like her, it was still a lady. And she did take off to her, grand, or her mother-in-law, so good Love for her. Um, the interesting thing about how she's buried is she's buried in the only tomb that has two emperors in the whole world. Oh. Definitely in China, pretty sure in the whole world. So she's buried with her husband. She's and buried that with makes her, her husband, Yao Zong. So she, that makes her one of the two. And this was in a tomb in Shangxi province, which you can still go and see. And the interesting thing is um, traditionally uh, higher, high officials that were buried would have this kind of uh, a stone kind of what's it called a facade a uh, like a tablet where they would like write a description of oh their... shoot yeah it's not a headstone it's oh that's gonna bother me 
yeah, it's it's some some term for it. But anyway, there's this like stone tablet outside the tomb that is supposed to have an inscription epitaph. about epitaph. Yes, that's the word I'm thinking. Yes, of, right. Yeah, that's, it's it's basically okay. that. Yeah. Um, I didn't even and... have to Google it. I just thought of the Bonnie and Clyde <laughs> musical. Yeah, that's a good word. I like that word. Epitaph. Anyway, so this epitaph was supposed to be uh, kind of written by her son and having like put on by her son, but he never did it. <laughs> um, hmm. So the historian who's kind of like the expert on her says that he kind of thinks this is like the best way that she could be remembered. And it stands blank to this day. Oh. And it's kind of like it's kind of good that it nothing ever got put down because yeah. you know it would have been bad. Well, and and it leaves it open for interpretation. Yeah, well, that's what I say. And it's, it's again, a study in historiography. Yeah. Like like you were mm-hmm. saying, but yeah, to know that no one wanted to be the one to cement her reputation yeah. on her tombstone, like, that's yeah. kind of cool. I know. It's, like, really, it just definitely... So mysterious, it's a testament too. to her legacy. It's dramatic, which I yes, feel like she would have liked. Oh, it's so dramatic. Oh, my God. Um... So now, as I kind of mentioned, her reputation is gaining some, it's it's recovering, you mm-hmm. know, for decades and centuries, we thought like, oh, she was awful. She killed everyone in her family, mm-hmm. which again, most of those rumors were completely unfounded. The only death we can really accuse her of is, well, we can maybe accuse her of is the daughters and definitely which is kind of the worse. old empress. And so it's like, yeah, we don't know if she did it. Maybe she did. We don't know. But she definitely killed the old empress. So not great. Um, and the old lady, first first concubine lady. So she definitely had murder in her. But but we don't know to what extent exactly. Yeah. But, you know, as with a lot of women historical figures, she is being looked back with a more um, fair eye. She's looking back. We're looking back at her more fondly because she did do a lot of good and she's probably one of the key reasons why the Tang Dynasty was so successful yeah. as it was. Um and now in China she has like a really she's become a, apparently a really popular figure. Um she has fashion lines and alcohol Whoa. named after her, like very high end, oh, very boom. fancy, all this. She would stuff. have appreciated that, I think. She too. would have. So anyway, that was Empress Wu. That's so cool. What an I interesting lady. I, never, I can't believe I've never heard of her. No one's even mentioned her. Not even in a world know. history class. I know. Like, you would Dang. think, like, the one female empress in China would, like, get a blip, at also, least. Also, when she had so much scandal around her and rumor and distaste. I know. I know. It makes for a fun story. And that's always what you had to tell the high schoolers, right? But yeah, tell them the fun stuff. Uh, anyway, so that was a lot of fun to look into. And I'm glad I stumbled across her. I'm glad, too. Yeah. Anyway, that's the story of China's uh, best girl boss. Girl boss, I'm going to leave you with this message. Girl boss, gaslight, gatekeep. That's what I live my life by. I just live off of spite. We've had this conversation before. I think out of the three, I probably do gatekeep the most because I'm a bitch. I'm going to tell myself I'm a girl boss, but I think I just gaslight myself a lot. I think I just gatekeep. You should see me when I like... One of my friends, like, listens to the same music as me. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't It's, like, like really it. bad. It's, like, it's a problem. I have to work on it. It's a lot. I, I, I'm working on myself. You I'm know? proud of you. Thanks. I'm trying. It's not working. <laughs> I'm only working on the gatekeep part of myself. <laughs> I'm trying to be a better friend. Anyway, if you've stuck around this long, uh, we hope it's been a good episode. We hope you've learned of a lot. And we really, really hope that you talk to us on Twitter and through email. Our yes. Twitter is... T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. 
and uh, our gmail is this is not a history lecture at gmail.com and we really 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 hope that you'll leave us a review on apple Podcasts. that is the number one way to help us spread the word about it and every good review gives what what should it gives it should give wheels to someone who just broke their skateboard wheels gives them new wheels what are you doing it's a really good moment in their lives and you can do that for someone by leaving us a review on apple Podcasts. you're right <laughs> i thought we discussed this there no we did and i completely forgot <laughs> yeah you did I, I didn't i i apologize also that i was so tired this week guys i will be more awake next time i will eat yeah we all have off and weeks. i will drink we're not water professionals and not stay up ridiculously late eating 11 course meals that's the bougiest sentence i've ever said oh my god hey you got it for free so i did um yeah just some sweat off my back and work but yeah yeah let us know what you want to hear um recommend we us want to if, hear from you you know people who like we must you all of that stuff thank you guys we will talk to you again next week next for week. a themed episode. Ooh, look out for that one. Big number two zero. Yes. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That snuck up on us. I feel like we just did 10. Yeah, I think. That's insane. Ooh, that's rough. Um, anyway. It'll yeah. be fun, though. And this is your friendly reminder that this was not a history podcast. Bye-bye. You said podcast is not the name of our no! show. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>